0: you to reflect on everything what you do uh, and be critical and learn from competitors not to be scared of competitors competition is great you can learn from them but think one step ahead and don't try to catch with the market try to build your market
1: on today's show i'm talking to dina the founder and ceo of pitch me we're talking all about the future of work and the talent marketplace My name's David Savage, this is Tech Talks, it's your twice weekly technology podcast discussing ideas and developments across the tech scene with the people who are leading the industry. So if you're interested in tech or you want to find out what your peer group is saying, this is the podcast for you. Enjoy the show. Joining me on the podcast today, we've got two people, we've got Alyssa and Evie, and we should be very grateful that that Evie is with us.
2: Yes, nice to be back though. i yeah. glad you
3: here. Yeah. It's exciting to have you join us too. Double crew. You
1: didn't die.
3: I didn't.
2: I
1: made no. it. Yeah. I made it home. I mean, out of context, that's going to sound really odd. Because normally you don't expect to die on holiday. But <laughs> she, she told you that her plane nearly blew up. She,
2: she did tell me. And the next day I sent her a message saying, have you got oh, home? No, so? And she ignored me. So oh, I thought no, she did die.
3: I didn't ignore you. I didn't have my phone on me. And I messaged you as soon as I realized. So... You didn't
1: die. I didn't oh, wow. die. What nearly happened?
3: Um so there was something wrong with the engines and then the brakes got too hot. So if we'd taken off it could have caught fire.
1: Ooh. Which is great.
3: Across the A landing. lot has <laughs> to go
1: wrong with a plane for it to actually drop out of the sky though.
3: I mean, um, the right. fact that they like emergency stopped on the runway. Well,
1: yeah. I, I mean, it could it have, but yeah, they're not going to take off if they know there's something wrong. I mean, I'd be really worried if the, if, the, if the pilot was like, oh, we know this could go wrong, but it'll be fine. Yeah,
2: it's like, we'll make it across the whole Atlantic. It's fine, you know? But apparently the pilot had his family on the plane, so I don't think anyone's going to take off. If you got people on the plane.
3: Yeah.
1: Sorry, hang on. If his family wouldn't have been on the plane, he would have been reckless and be like, Sonic.
2: Well maybe. I don't know if I
3: trust people anymore. <laughs> uh, I felt a bit safer knowing that they were there.
1: Well, we're very glad that you survived. Thank you. Welcome back. Thanks. Uh, we'll get into today's interview, which is a lot less terrifying than planes nearly blowing up mid Atlantic. Um, <laughs> and then we'll have some comment on it afterwards and some news. So today we are talking to Dina, the founder of PitchMe.co. Is it PitchMe or PitchMe.co? Uh,
0: not to confuse, rather PitchMe.
1: PitchMe. Cool. Who are PitchMe before we get into anything else? Because people might not be familiar with the brand given that it's, it's fairly new, right?
0: Yes, two years old. Uh, skills-based talent marketplace. So we help people to find jobs based on their skills and Mm -hmm. nothing else.
1: A skills-based talent marketplace, how is that different from recruitment?
0: Well, we connect employers, candidates, but most important, we bridge a gap between education and uh, future work Mm -hmm. by bringing on board online education platforms. So, well, you can call us recruitment, but it's kind of like a future of work platform.
1: That's an interesting point, because if you kind of look at all the statistics around kids in school today, there's a stat that says, what, 63% of the jobs that they will do don't exist today. Yeah. So that bridge between education and work, I suppose, is the critical piece to get right if we're going to build a sustainable workforce, right?
0: Indeed, indeed. Uh, we're not focusing on kids, rather on students. But mm. they still struggle. Uh, when you enter university to study a bachelor for four or five years, you will enter a job market. Uh, well, by the time you. You learn, you learn something which doesn't exist anymore or not required anymore. So your whole education will be outdated. So this is what we do and help candidates to plan their even education uh, program for themselves and adapt easily to the demand of the ever-changing
1: work environment. I, I suppose the biggest shift, you know, I, as you know, I've worked in recruitment. Yeah. Previously, I, you know, I recruited about six to 700 technology contractors. Uh, and the emphasis was on technical skills, hard skills. What had you done? What could you showcase that you'd done? Whereas I suppose now we're moving to a situation where it is less about what have you done specifically, but what your capabilities are and what your breadth of skills are across a range of different topics. Is that is that fair? If you try and think about the skills that are going to be demanded in the future, is there that subtle change between I've implemented this particular version of X technology to... I've got this flexible thinking that can be applied to a number of different S- situations or circumstances?
0: Yes, true. So we built an uh, analytical uh, tool for us, which is a skill map, uh, historical sk- overview of the skills demanded uh, for each particular job description mm. in each particular sector since 1995. So for PitchMe, this is a very good uh, tool to actually predict trends, what is going to be evolving, what skills are going to be demanded. Employees are not looking at candidates anymore as a as a person who has just technical knowledge or just uh, specific technical capabilities they are looking at candidates as a whole spectrum of skill set and the person who will fit not only into the job description and the position but also into environment and the team so this is what we do help to assess the whole range of hard skills, soft skills and personality profile and we do it without any questionnaires or psychometric tests, we do it well, with it AI and technology.
1: So I suppose the interesting question to ask is what does it actually look like? Because what you're saying sounds great, but if you're a manager within a business, you're still time short. Yes. And you need to know pretty quickly, is this candidate going to be worth my time or not? Mm-hmm. And what you've described sounds quite big and complex. So I suppose distilling that down into something that can be understood quickly... Mm-hmm. That must be the key part of the challenge, right?
0: Yeah, so we replace CVs because yep. obviously CVs are outdated. And we create a new tool of professional presentation, which mm-hmm. we call a Smart Me Profile. It's a real-time snap of hard skills, soft skills, and personality profile. For employer, it looks as a outcome of people who match the position, their score of matching, their full spectrum of skills, and a fit into environment, in the job, and into the team. And by accessing our marketplace they have like um, the all-in-one tool starting from screening and assessing to invitations to interviews so employers love us for staffing their positions four times faster and obviously much cheaper than any
1: recruiter will do. I like the obviously (laughs) that's not necessarily obvious I mean you're you're using personality profile and, and AI you could probably say well you know it's quite valuable
0: well we need to compete somehow okay right? so that's our usp
1: so you're presenting this 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 pitch me profile and it's a snapshot that must be telling you what skills people are looking for not just now but moving forward
0: right and maybe i will sound quite disappointing for few of the, of your listeners <laughs> but uh employees are more looking into soft skills because what they consider um, and what the motto is that technical skills and uh, professional skills can be easily taught, mm-hmm. even by induction, like one, two months induction into the profession. But what you cannot learn is soft skills. And a uh, majority of employers make a hiring decision based on how a person communicates himself, how he can or she can uh, contribute to the team and network. Uh, within uh, within the community uh, but the second thing is uh, the whole spectrum of skills which can be easily adapted so it's not only about knowing particular programming language or it's not about knowing like particular design tool it's about the whole range of skills which can complement each other and which can be adapted depending on the transformation of your job. Mm -hmm. So employers are willing to hire uh, for a long term and they're willing to invest into education and um, introduction to the position, but they are looking for uh, adaptability and flexibility from candidates much more than they did before.
1: And, And what kind of education routes then are providing that? Because finding a candidate that is flexible in their thinking. That's quite intangible. I mean, if you were if you were to turn around to someone now and they were 17 years old and they're trying to work out what they would study, but they see technology as a potential end destination and they see the creativity etc, what should they go and study? Is it still computer science?
0: Um probably not what but when Mm. Uh, I would put this question in this way and students are already asking these questions to themselves because they are the most flexible and the most easily adaptable player of this process and they understand uh, the problem that when they will come to a market they their skill set may be outdated already Mm. so they try to complement their conventional education in university or college by obtaining different sort of courses online free courses or paid courses or even uh, learning by doing so they do a lot of freelancing work they do a lot of internships they're doing a lot of job placements because Mm -hmm. they want to understand where are they demanded what uh, what are their strengths what people or employers actually valuing them for uh, there are a lot of questions how um, we can look at kids at schools and how we can build their creativity on soft skills starting from the early age. Uh, this is not our core expertise, but uh, the whole trends, even in the higher education, are saying that conventional education is heavily complemented by alternative ways of education, which is online courses, for example.
1: So look, where did this come from? Like, as, as, as a... As an idea, because to be CEO, founder of this kind of a business, you need a hell of a lot of passion, but you don't come from a recruitment background, which I suppose some people might assume. You come from a project management background.
0: I think this is a strength not to be biased uh, and to uh, look at things different. But as a, every founder, it came from a personal problem or mm-hmm. personal struggle. Uh, me and my co founders, we never found jobs by CV. Because we have quite a non-obvious career story. And um, we are in between being a millennial and uh, Generation Z. so uh, And we're just generally curious people. We mm. have been studying a lot. We have been working since very early age. And by the time we entered the job market, our CV was already three pages long, and no one would read that, right? Mm-hmm. But how to put all your skills and all your knowledge into a format people can read or uh, understand? And this is what we decided to address. Um, and yeah, idea was basically to give everyone an equal opportunity to find a job based on who they are and what they know, and not based on their background.
1: And you allude there to the fact that you've got this team of founders. How did you come together? and decide, yeah, th- this this is cohesive, this has got a, a good mix of skills that's going to allow us to, to build that business around.
0: So me and the first co-founder, we were uh, engaged in the Energy Institute Young Professional Network. So yeah. our background is oil and gas sector, actually. And we were helping young professionals to get into energy sector. And this is when employees starting to approach us and, uh, and ask for help to get introduced to graduates or young professionals. And uh, at the same time, young professionals were coming to us asking to uh, help them with the recruitment. And we already identified that there is something in between broken. Uh, So we ran a market research. We interviewed 400 employers, uh, 700 candidates and 70 recruiters and came up with uh, three problems which we're addressing. The first problem is uh, incapability offer CV as an A4 paper to mm. represent the whole spectrum of skills. Second, that the speed of modern business is much faster than the speed of uh, recruitment. And the third one is incapability to assess uh, um, technical skills or very specific skills by recruiters.
1: When you say the speed of modern business is quicker than the speed of recruitment, I would argue that that's not, no, that's not necessarily to do with the recruitment sector, but the speed with which some organizations sometimes move internally to make decisions. So how does your tooling and how does your platform help them through that process and help consult and advise?
0: Right, so our speed of staffing in general is three weeks on right. average, depending how fast um, hiring managers making a decision. So if we can make it tomorrow, yes, here is a hire. Second, the, we open a horizon of talent search by bringing people uh, with a non-obvious background into the position. And this is what uh, employers are valuing us for because we bring fresh blood. Mm. So people who don't have something relevant uh, in their CV, but they have done it as an extracurricular activity. And obviously the cost of the mistake uh, when you're going for a recruiter is 20 to 25% success fee. Uh, With us, it's a a fixed fee per position, which is very easy, especially for a small and medium sized company to afford, because their budgets, especially recruitment budgets, are strict.
1: So you come up with the idea, you put together a founding team. Um, What did you say? You're two years into the business now. How many many people are you?
0: Uh, 13.
1: So... And the, co- sorry, the founding team was how many people? Four. What skill did you identify as that fifth hire? And how did you come to that, that decision?
0: We are very critical uh, thinking people. Mm. Uh, so the core idea how to build your founding team is to identify your weaknesses and your strengths and be very uh, objective when me and my first co-founder we came uh, together so i'm obviously a project manager and i know how to build teams and how to lead uh, strategy uh, my co-founder is an engineer he had been working with oil and gas companies for a while there were two pieces missing the one piece was missing is a theoretical and scientific knowledge, uh, how to enhance our methodology, how to enhance our scientific proposition, and we were looking for academic person with a scientific background. So Gregory uh, joined us. He's a uh, he was doing PhD in crowdsourcing, and we rely on his research. And the last piece was a CTO because an experienced CTO uh, is a key success to the uh, to the startup because it's not only about being a technical person, it's about being able to manage technical teams.
1: When you're looking for a CTO, are you looking for someone who's got more of a product mindset or someone who's got more of an ability to, to build software? Product. Yeah.
0: Yes. Everyone can code, even ID. It <laughs> well, doesn't make I me a CTO. Can't. All right. <laughs>
1: so you know, let's let's not make it sound overly easy. But carry on.
0: All, all right, but a person who can code is not a CTO. A person who can translate what managers want into a technical language and build a pipeline mm. of the technical development this is a CTO. And we knew that none of us was actually a good fit into this project management and product ownership so um, we were we have been very lucky to be introduced to our current cTO
1: so look you, you've gone through this first couple of years. you have grown the business what one last thing I suppose to, to pass on to anyone who's interested who's got an idea and they don't know quite how to scale, mm-hmm. what advice would you pass on to them?
0: Um, build a team, find mm-hmm. a team of core minded and like minded people uh, be brave um, Ability to listen and accept no's, this is what makes you succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, ability to reflect on everything what you do uh, and be critical and learn from competitors. Not to be scared of competitors. Competition is great. You can learn mm-hmm. from them. But think one step ahead and don't try to catch with the market. Try to build your market. Mm-hmm. Uh, identify gaps. See what you can, um, what you can build, and uh, would you be passionate about that in five years' time, during your lowest moments of your life? And this is what will wake you up every single morning.
1: Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, uh, and thank you for sharing the pitch me story. Thank you, uh, and yes, I, uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week.
0: Thank you, pleasure meeting you, and have a lovely day.
1: So, uh, look, I was a recruiter. You two both are still recruiters. Uh, what was your initial reaction to this?
0: Oh,
2: Dave, I'm not going to lie to you. After this, I, I got a little bit scared for our jobs. <laughs> I thought we were going to become null and void. <laughs> I'm not lie.
1: to lie. To her final point, competition is great and you can learn from competitors. Um, obviously, this podcast is backed by Harvey Nash and it's a company I've worked for for 12 years. But we've had talent and recruitment chats with people before and I don't I think it's worthwhile having them occasionally because we as a business can learn plenty um and the the skills market is rapidly evolving right I mean I'm fully on board with a lot of what Dina says there's some stuff that I'm a bit I'm not so sure about to be perfectly honest but it'd be interesting just to get kind of your guys perspective first of all
2: Yeah
3: I thought I mean I thought it was I think a part of it was really good like I know that I would have found it really useful being in university and like having that to really help me, like, find a job that Mm. I think would be best for me, like, soft skills wise. Because obviously, I went to uni and did something like geography, so there's not a lot of (laughs) hard skills, like specific technologies and things, so it's hard to choose. But I think it'd be really hard for someone like us to compete with that simply because the roles that we're recruiting for, like, they are looking more specifically like how are we gonna find out that ourselves without using their platform
1: see I my big issue with this and I think I think that the kind of move away from a traditional CV um, is probably right I agree with and, and we're, we're we're doing things along videos etc yeah there's a couple of lines in there you know you can't learn soft skills and we're looking for more adaptability and flexibility you can learn soft skills and I'm not entirely convinced that AI alone is the best way to judge if someone has adaptability, flexibility, soft skills. And as an element of just good old traditional, how well do you know someone and do you know your marketplace? I think if you've got people coming into it, and absolutely for students, there's a lot of really interesting user cases for something like this. Mm-hmm. But um, at a more senior end of the market, I don't see, I, I see that. Need to really understand and know someone on a personal level, and this, this is this, this, and the reason why I say that is there's there's this whole thing with technology at the minute, isn't there? Around how far can technology go in augmenting our jobs? I think there's an element that technology can be really good at the lower end of the skills and mm. talent marketplace, mm. but there comes a limit where actually you need human intuition I'm and saying, relationships when I'm it gets saying. a little bit more senior. Yeah. So I think I think it's interesting. I think what they're doing is fantastic. Um, you know, four times faster and cheaper than a recruiter can. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, I found it quite ironic. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: do you think maybe that's why they're doing it at that level? Or, or, if I'm not mistaken, are they only... they It's students. It's only students. So it's right? going to be entry do you think, level. Th- yeah, do you think that's why they're doing it at that level? Because I know the roles I recruit, they're, v- they're very kind of high level. So I, I speak to architects all the time. And you need to have a personal relationship with these people. Like, what are you wanting? You need to carry on building that relationship so they don't decline an offer. You know, I, I don't, I think this will 100% work, like you say,
1: with that. I think there's also, a, thing. there's also that element of, of whether or not you really genuinely know someone when you're recommending them to yeah. uh, another, another employer. Because mm. I remember years ago, I placed someone at Crossrail and his CV was in no way fit for the job. But I said to the client, look, trust me, meet him. I know that he can do this job. Mm. And this is effectively, they're building an AI And a system and a platform that, for people entering the market, is effectively saying, "Trust me. Don't worry about what their skills are on paper. This person can do the job. That's what they're doing." Which is is fascinating and interesting, and is is brilliant because let's face it, there's a lot of graduates out there who look at the look at the jobs as they're written now and wonder how they fit in.
3: Yeah, exactly. I think it gets rid of some something to do with all that bias as well as like where you. Like do your education and like where you've gone to uni and focuses Mm. a bit more on what you've actually done and can do rather than like oh I went to Oxford so like you should be hired it's like oh these are all the different skills I have yeah so I think that helps as well
1: I love the idea that they've mapped skills since 1995 looked at the trends and then tried to predict where certain job roles might be going
2: exactly Mm. I also I thought that was brilliant um when she said they're kind of bridging that gap between what the skills you learn in university, like she said, you, you're in university for four years or however long you're there, and by the time you leave, what you've learned in your first year, pretty much, especially if you go into the technology space, but mm-hmm. even marketing, think about that, and um, pretty much uh, like how the world, how the world how the world works, <laughs> the touch points that they have uh, now compared to what they had previously those four years ago, things changed quickly. So they're kind of filling that gap. Listen, they did study this. This is what they know. But we can kind of move them, mold them to be what you guys need now mm. based on their knowledge, their way of thinking, coming from where they've studied, what, what they've learned. So I don't know. I think it's a brilliant idea, Dina. But mm. I do think she's stealing my job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, real, rather depressingly, I started university 16, 17 years ago now. For you two, it's a little bit less long ago. Uh Yeah, shut up. Um, in terms of um, this idea that, that conventional education must be heavily complemented, did you feel that? Did you feel that internships and online courses and placements and stuff was things that you had to think about? Because I didn't. If, I, when I, if I'm perfectly honest, I was at university. I mean, I, I barely concentrated on my degree. So. But I didn't feel a need to complement with additional education.
3: Uh, see, I feel like I did with mine, especially because I was quite unsure about what I wanted to do at first, and so I, I made sure that I did like internships in the summers and like anything to like help boost my CV. That's something I feel like I was always taught at school was do everything extra that you can to put yeah. on your CV to make it not just standard and look like everyone else. So,
1: I feel
2: like it's definitely good to point those things out as well.
1: Is it the same in South Africa?
2: Yeah, very much so. So, there's a lot, of, the competition in South Africa is crazy because everyone's fighting for a job. In South Africa, mm-hmm. you can't just move jobs all the time. Um, so, the competition's crazy. So, you want to be the best. Um, I personally was not that person. Um, I didn't do extra courses for my specific course, but. I did. I, I, w- I was working, so I was always in a work environment. Even when I was in university, mm-hmm. I was pairing. I was waitering, and um, just to kind of get that extra communication experience. So people yeah. are like, "Listen, I might not have done all these fancy courses, but um, I'm driven." You know.
1: Yeah, and look, the other the other thing that I probably touch on very quickly to tie into the kind of the series as a whole, she talks about the strength to look at things differently. You know, she's coming into not recruitment per se, but the, the, the skills talent marketplace, she's a project manager. Her founding team come from wildly different backgrounds to that that you might imagine uh, someone entering the talent marketplace would come from. And if we think about a lot of the people that we've had on the show, that's the case. And you know, it's this wider trend, I think of doctrepreneurs, and it's not just in medicine, it's basically people who are passionate about um, something mm-hmm. who aren't in technology, applying what they know to technology to create new solutions.
2: I think that takes it back to, I, I don't know if you remember last week um, we spoke about Oliver and he was saying how he was always doing these different courses to kind of boost him, boost him, boost him. If you yeah. have someone that's completely crazy about what they're doing, they love it, they, they want to give back, yeah, this is where these ideas come from, you know? Uh, I don't know, back then. Mm. And it's
3: like bringing in like, that fresh blood, like she said, and like, finding people who might not have been the most obvious choice. But someone who could still be like equally as amazing at the job. Like you said, Lissa, like just being passionate about it, I think mm. counts for
2: So much. Yeah, level. so much, yeah. not just like People are all about heart nowadays, and I know it sounds so cringy, but it's so
1: true. So we like Dina, but we don't like Dina.
2: Uh, I respect
3: her. <laughs> <know. laughs> I think it's a good idea. Well, look,
1: she's on the panel on Thursday night.
2: Oh
3: really? Oh yeah.
1: She's a she's at our Tech Talks meetup at General oh. Assembly. She's part Say panel. Hi. Do you
2: think yeah. she needs to hire some techies? Or do you think they'll do it by? <laughs> 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 I don't
3: think they're going
1: to use them. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, you can ask her on Thursday. Um, there are still places available for that. It's on things like Meetup and LinkedIn. It's on General Assembly's website. We'd love you to come along. But with that, we will go to our advert break. And when we come back, we'll have a new story direct from Australia. Once a month, Tech Talks opens the Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to the show for our bit of technology news this week. Uh, I've taken it from The Guardian because I'm being lazy and I like taking things stuff from The Guardian, and Jack's not here to shout at me. Josh Taylor has written this article. It's all about facial recognition. Porn, public transport, and other dubious justifications for facial recognition software. So governments in Australia have come up with some creative reasons to sell the public, sorry, to sell the public on the use of facial recognition technology. I'll read this out to you. Start with passports, then it was your phone. Now governments in Australia want to use facial recognition or facial verification to access government services, take public transport, and even for your private viewing. Last month, a Joint Standing Committee on Intelligence and Security told the government it needed to rethink its plans for, facial fa- for, for national facial verification database built off people's passports and driver's license photos. It said that there weren't strong enough safeguards for citizens' privacy and security built into the legislation. However, despite the concerns, governments and agencies have come up with some creative reasons to justify the use of facial recognition and sell it. Here are five proposed. I'll read out five. Watching porn, government rebates, two-factor authentication, taking public transport, and identifying victims of public violence—of domestic violence rather.
2: Well, there's a couple of <laughs> them I agree with. A couple. Couple. Which ones? Um, I think that the public transport one could be quite good. Facial
1: recognition for public transport. Yeah. Okay. I
2: think so, um, you don't think so? I'm not sure about
3: that one. I, the definitely the domestic violence one. No. For sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like
1: so taking public transport what they've done no more gate barriers just a smooth journey it's all about making the journey easier and faster for people Uh, New South Wales recently began allowing people to tap on and off with credit cards instead of Opal cards but they want to go one step further frictionless transport payments what happens if you
2: can I tell you what I think go on so when I tap in let's say I tap in at one station but then some other stations they don't have like gates so you have to find the tap in thing so it charges you extra if you don't tap out. So it charges you extra for not... So
1: it would automatically tap you out. Exactly. However,
2: I th- I think you that's can't British.
1: just get rid of mm-hmm. gates because you can't... You, you'd have to have two systems. You'd have to have gates for those people that want to opt out. You can't force... Because public transport is something you've got to use. Say it was in London. You have to use public transport, right? Uh, yeah. So say you didn't want your face to be on that database, which is within your rights. Yeah. You couldn't just dispense with barriers because you'd have to have a section where it's like these people don't want their face on. Although would it would it be like why don't they want their face on it? Exactly. Why are they hiding? But
2: like because they are brothers <laughs> I
3: don't know. But then they'd still have to. You'd still have to wait for the gate to let you through because they can't just let everyone onto the trains. Like anyone um, could get on.
1: What do you mean? So no, no. Because if you if you walked through the facial recognition area, it'd just be it'd be like minority reports. Yeah, but face. and
3: also like beep 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 take him away but or what something? everyone just walks through
1: well everyone walks through to so what it said now it's only payment that that controls the flow if they need to they can still shut access to stations if there's overcrowding
2: if anything it'll be better because you know exactly who's there what time they'll be on there all of that type of thing I feel Listen. like they know who's there anyway there's cameras anyway yeah there's cameras everywhere so but you <sighs> can hide from those I think <laughs>
3: what if you walk around a
1: station covering your face yeah
3: but what if I want to borrow someone's oyster card you know
1: borrow their face.
3: Well, Ooh. how does that work, you know?
1: Well, you can't, I guess.
3: Like, yeah, exactly. But
1: you need to have barriers, because on a serious note, you can't force everyone to opt into this.
2: Yeah, uh, guys, the world is changing. It, w- it will do it gradually, but one day, that's how it's going to work. I don't like it. A... Let's <laughs> forget what <with> the problem
1: <laughs> So, the other one that you mentioned, domestic violence. I think that's great. So, Human Services Department told the committee that it ultimately rejected the facial ver- verification legislation that was particularly interested in using the system to verify and identify uh, vulnerable people seeking payments and support. Victims victims of family and domestic violence sometimes need to leave their home without being able to take their identity documents with them. For um, some, these documents are withheld by the perpetrator of the violence. Oh, so that's interesting. Oh. I get what it's saying now. So the idea that... So if I relate it to um, Africa, there's been cases of cryptocurrencies being used to give um, money uh, to mothers because if they are given cash, that is taken off them by abusive husbands uh-huh. who then spend it for, on alcohol, on gambling yeah. and whatever else. Mm-hmm. So I suppose the idea being if, if you are in a, an abusive relationship, your partner might withhold your access to Cards, payment, whatever. whatever so, yeah. if you were able to use your face to access services, that couldn't be withheld from you by mm. someone who's, who's abusing you.
3: That's really good. Mm.
1: I can understand why that would be attractive and interesting.
2: Mm. But then, what if you, you have this really abusive man? And I don't know if you want to take this out, but this is just my thought process. What if you have this really abusive man who's like, really? I'm gonna use your face? Cut
1: it. Wow, that, yeah, to be it. fair, look, um, okay.
2: Then yeah. I think there's bigger issues. No, definitely, okay. but
3: still. Then. I probably
1: will leave that in, because it is, it is thought-provoking.
3: Yeah. The one that shocks me is the porn, though, as well, like... <laughs> is that, that, is there no privacy left in yeah. the world? And I also don't agree
2: with that, because if you think about it, people... It, Boys, girls, all that. Uh, you think about it. So come it's on.
1: to do. It's to do with age. It's to do with verifying your age. I mean, I don't know oh. what's wrong with the way that we verify our age at the moment.
2: But you can still get magazines. They can still get magazines. Well, yes. But I mean, you you've always get... been
1: able to get access to stuff somehow. Dad, would you just come and have a look at my computer for a second? No. Out <laughs> oh, No,
2: that's so horrible. <laughs> um,
1: no, it's 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 a bit weird, isn't it? I don't um, like it. Yeah, but interesting that governments are looking at how to implement these technologies, right? Yeah, yeah
3: very, very
2: interesting.
1: interesting. Mixed reaction.
2: Yeah. I think it takes it back to last week when we were talking about Google opening a bank account. They know all about stuff. Uh, and now, <laughs> now they know what porn we're watching. They want to know what, what you're kicks like. you're into. Come on.
1: Yeah. They know
2: everything Well, about you know what? The world's either going to go really, really ticky or everyone's just going to fall off the map and be like, I'm done. And we're going to go
1: back Jason to the Jason Bourne off and the, the grid. Back. Yeah.
2: yeah that's hard though that's hard to do that
1: I think we've probably had enough for today thank you very much for joining us Evie, well done for not dying thank you Uh, Alyssa, lovely to have you again my
2: second time thank you so much for having me
1: and uh, we'll be back on Friday